Our reading today comes from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. About five years ago, my wife Sarah and I visited some friends in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. And our friends, as with apparently everyone who lives in Nashville, they're in the music industry. And so we decided to do what everyone should do if they go to Nashville for a bit of fun. We decided to write and record a song. Now, the reality is, Sarah's the musical one. I know absolutely nothing about music. But what I do know is that in order to write a song, in order to write the lyrics of a song, you need two basic components. You need the verses and you need the chorus. And they serve, don't they, two different purposes in the song. The verses, they, they tell a story. And the chorus is almost the guiding theme to that story. The verses take us on a narrative journey, and the chorus punctuates this journey with a constant, repeated truth. You you might say it like this. The verses take us somewhere. The chorus keeps us somewhere. And what's interesting about our psalm today, Psalm 56, is that it's shaped like one of the songs that we sing where we're taken on a narrative journey through the verses, but it's punctuated with a chorus, a repeated refrain. And my argument today is that this song, this psalm, encapsulates the Christian life. It serves as a summary of the Christian experience. And so if you're new to Christianity today, then maybe this is an insight into what life could look like if you became a Christian, or what life is going to look like as you are a Christian. But for those of us that are Christians already, and we've been Christians a while, this is our song. Okay, here's what I want to do. Uh, Today, I want us to look at the psalm by breaking it down into three components. I want to look first at the opening verses, which I'm going to call trials, And then I want to look at the chorus, which I'm going to call trust. And then I want to look at the closing or final verses, which I'm going to call thankfulness. So trials, trust, and thankfulness. Okay, trials. Now, in in your Bibles, you may have noticed that this psalm has a little header to it, a little title. And the title says, To the choir master... According to the dove on far-off terebinths, 
and Michtam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, I I know about half of those words. Or maybe there's a few of you that are thinking, oh man, I I love a good Michtam. Uh, but, But here's what all of us need to know about this title. And it tells us two things about this song. The first thing it tells us is that this is a song written by David. And the second thing that it shows us is that the context of this psalm is when David was seized by the Philistines, which is a people group, in Gath, which is a place. So David is seized by the Philistines in Gath. And now, just so we're all on the same page, David, the David that this is speaking about, is David of David and Goliath fame. And it's it's likely that you would have heard of David and Goliath uh, because the story of David and Goliath is is the archetypical uh, story, isn't it? It's a a story that has made its way into popular culture and into our collective consciousness because it's a story of, of courage. It's a story of victory. It's a, it's a story of, of bravery and success. It's of the, the little good guy standing up against the big bad guy. So we know the story. We know David and Goliath, and we love David and Goliath. But while the story of David and Goliath was the end of the story for Goliath, it wasn't the end of the story for David. You see, the story of David and Goliath takes place in 1 Samuel 17. But the psalm that we've just read is written in reflection to events that happened in 1 Samuel 21. So we've got four chapters. Four chapters after the Goliath event, after the success of David. And so that's where we're at this morning. And here's what's happened to David since Goliath. So David is He's put, after Goliath, he's put over the armies of Israel and he has victories. And a a hit song is written about him. It says, Saul has struck down his thousands and David has struck down his tens of thousands. And and naturally, with that song, uh, King Saul becomes jealous. And Saul tries to kill David. And David has to run for his life, and he finds himself captured by the Philistines in a place called Gath, which ironically is the birthplace of Goliath. So David has has found himself caught between a rock and a hard place, between the Philistines on one side and Saul on the other, and he's trapped, and he's isolated, and he's alone. Four chapters ago, he was the hero. And now he cries to God and says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. I want us to think about the implications of this story. You see, this this story is going to unnerve us if we believe that obedience to God leads to a problem-free life. If obedience to God leads to a problem-free life. If you've believed, whether you've been taught this somewhere or whether you've just assumed it, that when you follow Jesus, all of your problems just simply disappear 
this psalm, the reality of this psalm, the, the story that we're told here is going to confront you. There is, there is pernicious teaching out there that, that draws a very simple rudimentary line between how faithful you are and how pleasant your circumstances are. And it's based on a naive and dangerous promise that, that is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. If you're exploring Christianity today, I, let me just stop you here and say, uh, this is not true. What's on offer is not a pain-free life. Now, the caveat here is, it is true that sin in your life destroys you and that the work of Jesus on your behalf releases you from the bondage of sin. It is true that the Spirit of God can empower us to, to avoid sinful patterns in our lives that will destroy us. It is true that the wisdom of God protects us from all sorts of problems. All of that is true, but it's also true that a life of a faithful Christian is full of trials. It's full of trials. In fact, in a, in a world that is hostile to God, obedience to God will often bring trials upon us. Think about it. David could have avoided all of this. He could have avoided being trampled on and being oppressed. He, if, if only he'd have just kept to himself. You know, it, it was the Goliath event that led to this moment. If only he'd have just been like his brothers. Now, you don't know his brothers because they stepped back when David stepped forward and they faded into biblical obscurity. Christ City, you need to hear me on this. And, and I say this in love. I'm not saying this is always true, but it could be. And, and you need to consider this. There is a chance that a lack of trials in your life is not a result of God's blessing, but of your disobedience. Let me say that again. There is a chance that a lack of trials in your life is not a result of God's blessing, but of your disobedience. You know, I, I, I know this well. I, I know all of the times where I have chosen comfort over courageously stepping out for Jesus. I know it well. What this means, what it also means is that when you suffer, it's not always a result of your sin. When you suffer, it's not always a result of your sin. Look at what the Apostle Peter says to the church. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, just as you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter says trials aren't strange to the Christian life. They're, they're part of sharing in Christ's suffering. In fact, if you face trials that come as a result of, of following Jesus, Peter says, you're blessed. 
Trials are part of the Christian life. Okay, point one, trials. The opening of verses of our song are all about trials. But point two is when the chorus comes in, and it's trust. Trust is what this psalm is all about. It's what it's all about. It's, it's the chorus of David's life. Look what it says in, in verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And the chorus, as with all choruses, comes back again later in verses 10 and 11 and says, In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian the non is, is not always obvious from the circumstances of someone's life. But, but what is different, what is obviously different, is the chorus of their life. The chorus of their life. And, and maybe this is an abstract question, uh, uh, but, but, but what is the chorus of your life? What is the, the repeated refrain? What is the guiding theme? What is the thing that punctuates your life amidst the trials? And actually, if you don't know that, if you can't think about what that is, then one of the ways that we can find out the chorus of our life is in the trials, is when we face trials. For some of us, the chorus of our lives is anger and frustration. The repeated refrain of our lives is annoyance. For some of us, the chorus of our lives is fear. We have a tendency when we face trials to, to panic and to worry. I, um, I heard this week uh, a story about the famous 18th century preacher, John Wesley. Now, John Wesley was the founder of the, the Methodist movement, which is he's a big deal in, in Christian history. But, but Wesley, as a young man, he traveled on a ship from England across the Atlantic to America, where he was going to lead a church in, in Georgia. And while crossing the Atlantic, he got caught in a storm and he, and he feared. This, this young preacher feared for his life. He was terrified. Now, also uh, on this ship were a group of, of German Moravians. It just means German Christians. And, and, and they were also on their way across the Atlantic to, to preach the gospel in the New World. And Wesley noticed that in contrast to him, the Moravians didn't seem afraid. In fact, they sang calmly in the storm. Now, at the end of the trip, Wesley went up to the leader of the Moravian group and, and he asked the question, why were you so calm in the storm? Why were you so calm? Were you not afraid? And they responded uh, with a question to this famous preacher. They, they asked him, do you have faith in Christ? What a question to ask. Do you, do you not have faith in Christ? Wesley said yes, but on reflection, he thought, 
Maybe he didn't. See, the offer of of Christianity is to exchange a chorus of fear, a chorus of anger, a chorus of frustration, of concern, of worry, with a chorus of trust. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So the chorus of the Christian life is trust. But maybe a good question at this point to ask is, why should we trust God? Why should we trust him? Well, our psalm, David, gives us two reasons, two reasons to trust him. And they're both rooted and grounded in the nature and character of God himself. Let me show you. Why should we trust in God? Firstly, in verse 7. David is going to appeal to God's justice. He says, for their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Do you see what he's doing? David knows that sin should be punished. He knows that that wrongs should be made right. He wants justice. He demands justice. But more than that, he knows where to find justice. And David, in his current predicament, in his current oppression, can trust in God because he knows that not only justice should be done, but that justice will be done. Because the God of the universe, the God of all things, is in his very nature a just God. So first, he looks at God's justice. Second, in verse 8, David appeals to God's compassion his compassion he says you have kept count of my tossings put my tears in your bottle are they not in your book here's what he's saying he's saying that God sees and knows all of your hurt God sees and knows and cares about all of your pain God is not unaware of your pain. And, and maybe, maybe for some of us this morning, the only thing we need to take from this message is the simple truth that the tears that you have cried this week, God sees and knows and cares. God is compassionate. He cares. So David believes God to be trustworthy because he is both just and compassionate. And and just as an aside here, um, people will often pit these characteristics against one another. Uh, They'll they'll suggest that these characteristics are are in conflict with one another. You can't have a wrathful God who is loving or or a compassionate God who who punishes sin. But I think David sees these characteristics not in conflict, uh, but um, as companions, as companions of uh, of one another. You see, a a just God takes a, a full account of every evil. And a compassionate God takes full account of every tear. A just God punishes all oppression. A compassionate God cares for all of the oppressed. 
You see, God's justice is compassionate and his compassion is just. They complement one another, these two characteristics of God. So why should we trust in God? Why, why should we trust him in the trial? Because he's a compassionate God who is with you presently in your tears. But he's also a just God who will one day, as Revelation 21 says, wipe away every tear. He's just and he's compassionate. Okay, let me say uh, one more thing about trust. Uh, I want us to look at what trust in God does to us. What does it do to us? Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David says in in the midst of trials, at the threshold of fear, what can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? What can, what can people do to me? Now, you take half a second to think about this question. It's a very serious question. It's a sobering question. What can flesh do to me? Our response might be everything. It could take my life away. There's a... Um, Lutheran preacher, Lutheran priest called Richard Wormbrandt, who wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And because of his faith in Jesus, he was imprisoned by the communist regime in Romania. And during his imprisonment, he was beaten and tortured. He was mutilated and burned. He was locked in a large frozen icebox. The soles of his feet were beaten until the flesh was torn off. And then the next day, they would beat his bones. What can flesh do to us? It, it can do that. It can do that. Now here's the thing. The assumed answer of the question in our psalm, what can flesh do to me, is not everything. It's ultimately nothing. Ultimately, nothing. What can flesh do to me? Ultimately, nothing. Because ultimately, when we trust in God, this, this God of the universe, this God who is sovereign over life and death, it gives us perspective of our lives and our trials. It raises our gaze from the pain in the moment to the God of eternity. That's what trust in God does to us. It's the reason that Jesus says in Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Trust in God, Christ City, eclipses the fear of man, the fear of flesh. It eclipses it. And look what happens. This is what happens. This is the journey that our song has been taking us on. The trials of the opening verses punctuated, repeated chorus of trust turns to thankfulness and praise. Trials, trust, thankfulness. Verse 12 says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God 
in the light of life. Christ City, trials in the Christian life are inevitable. But when we put our trust in God, who is both just and compassionate, we know that the trials aren't the end of the story. They're not the end of the story. The opening verses of this song were all about trials. The closing verse of this song is all about deliverance. It's all about a God who would save him. It's all about God's restorative work in his life. It's all about a God who would bring him freedom and joy. And so it crescendos with this outpouring of worship. Because what we see is that it's not only that David put his trust in God, it's that God proved to be trustworthy. God proved to be trustworthy. One of my favorite hymns says this, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Over and over, he has proved himself trustworthy. And I'm sure for many of us, that is a testimony of our lives over and over. We have put our trust in him over and over. He has proved to be trustworthy. And in response, we worship him. We give thank offerings to him. That is the Christian life. My argument today is that Psalm 56 encapsulates the Christian life. It summarizes the the Christian experience. Yes, there are inevitable trials. There are trials uh, that come about for being obedient to God. But when we trust him in the trials, he always and inevitably proves to be trustworthy. That his justice and compassion, they, they work together for our good And that just as as trials are inevitable, so too is his deliverance. So too is his salvation. And so we can live right now in the presence of our own trials, in the knowledge that he will bring about salvation, in the knowledge that he will deliver us. Before I finish, I need to say something because I really will have missed the mark on this sermon. If your takeaway today is, um, look at the example of David. This is how life is supposed to be. Go be like David. Because, Because this psalm, it doesn't just explain the story of David. It it doesn't just um, serve as a a summary of the Christian experience, but it also foreshadows the work of Jesus on our behalf. And what we need to do is we, we actually need to look beyond David and, and even beyond our own stories and look to the story of Jesus. You see, to understand Christianity, we, we always start with Jesus. And what do we see in Jesus' life? We see trials. Jesus, the Son of God, God made flesh, chose courage over comfort. He chose the road of of persecution and oppression, attempts at his life, jealousy, betrayal, pain, and sorrow. He chose trials. 
And in those trials, what we see in the life of Jesus is absolute trust in the Father. Absolute trust. The Apostle Peter says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. And Jesus faced that, that terrifying, sobering question, what can flesh do to me? And guess what? It did all that it could. It did all that it could. They beat him and they whipped him and they tore at his flesh and they mocked him and they put him on a bloody cross. But while the story in our psalm that David was delivered from death, Jesus died. As the Apostle Paul says, he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. On that cross, he would, he would take uh, full account of every evil and he would take account of every tear and he would have them upon his shoulders. He would take them upon himself in order to save us, not from momentary trials, but from eternal death. You see, Jesus didn't come to save us from the Philistines. He didn't come to save us from Saul. He came to save us from sin and death. And so when he rose on the third day from the grave, it was in order to, to make a way through death for us. Christ City, the chorus of our lives is trust, Yes, there's trials, but we can be thankful because we know that we have a God in whom we trust who is mighty to save. And let me pray. Gracious God, we trust you. We see and we know all that Jesus has done on our behalf and we trust you. And we pray as the hymn goes, oh, for grace to trust you more. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.